If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Alan Pittman. I have the pleasure of serving as the senior pastor and one of the elders here at Living Hope. And we are absolutely thrilled that you're worshiping with us today. Whether you are here to honor the birthday girl or whether you're here because a friend invited you or whether you're here because uh, you just saw the church building, whatever brought you here, if you're here as a guest, we say welcome and we are especially grateful that you're here worshiping in the building and or uh, worshiping online with us. Uh, we uh, are, as a church family, doing several things right now that I want to kind of draw your attention to real quickly. Um, during this month, we are receiving the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, which goes to missionaries with the North American Mission Board. And uh, as of this morning, we had received uh, right at $3,100, and so that's good news. And we want to keep giving towards that, so keep praying about how God would have you to give towards that. Also, as Ricky said on the video, we are two weeks away. Do you know what two weeks from today is? Anybody? Easter, exactly. So Easter is almost here. So the activities that are listed on this card begin next Sunday with Palm Sunday. So next week is a normal worship time, but we'll be celebrating Palm Sunday. We'll be starting a devotional reading on that day that goes throughout the course of the week. We're having a Good, e a good Friday worship service at 6 o'clock on Friday, April the 7th. We're having a sunrise service on Easter Sunday morning at 7 a.m. Good news is the sun rises a little bit later, so we're moving it to 7 a.m. Uh, for that, that's about a 35-minute uh, worship service outside. And then we will have a pancake breakfast at 8.30. Obviously, that's free. There's no charge for that. And then the Easter service is at 10.30. We would encourage you, if you don't already have one of these cards, to grab one when you leave. And also, if you'd like to grab one to give to a friend to invite them to any of these activities, that'd be great. If we run out of cards, you can stop by the office this week and we'll get you another copy as well. But if you are a part of our church family, we really strongly ask you to participate in all of those things, unless you're out of town sick or working on those days, to be here to be a part of it, including Good Friday. And if you're able to wake up and get here for uh, Easter sunrise, that's an amazing time as well. Last year, we had about 50 people that came for the Easter sunrise. Good Friday was very well attended last year, and uh, we want to celebrate all that Jesus has done for us as we walk through the story of that last week of his life before his crucifixion and then with his resurrection on Easter Sunday morning. And then one other thing, if you are a part of our church family, if you're a church member, a regular attender, we strongly encourage you, we need you to be here on Sunday, April the 16th at 5 p.m. as we're having a family celebration. You got an email this week about that. Hopefully, you'll be able to be in attendance. And when you came in this morning, hopefully you picked up a worship guide. On the back side, there's some notes that you can take uh, as we go through the sermon. You can follow along on the screen as well. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab that. If you don't have a Bible with you, then there should be a hardback Bible near you in a seat uh, near you or underneath you. Grab that. Use that. If you need to take a Bible home, that's our gift to you. Um, be sure and take that with you. We are walking through a few of the stories in the book of Matthew as we get ready to experience Holy Week, as we begin to uh, experience his, his triumphal entry into the, into the city of Jerusalem and his, his death, burial, and his resurrection. And so today, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 16. So if you would, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 16. 
As you're doing that, have you ever been in a house of mirrors? I don't know whether they really have those much these days or not. I'm not really the carnival or fair going type. But as a kid, I know we would have those house of mirrors and you would go in and uh, there would be all different kind of angles and stuff on it so that sometimes things that are on the left side looks like it's on the right side. Sometimes the things that are on the top look at the bottom and vice versa. It just kind of flip-flops everything and everything, everything is not as it seems. Up is down, left is right. Some of Jesus' teachings can be a little disorienting for us and the way we like to see things and think through things. The problem is we see things wrongly and he shows us how they should be. And so some of his teachings can seem backwards, upside down, and even inside out. And so this morning we're going to study a pivotal point in the story of Jesus as he heads towards Jerusalem, and we're going to see some of these teachings that seem backwards from what we would think would be right, and we're going to seek to understand what it means to understand the way of the cross, which is the title of this message. What we're reading this morning comes on the hills of what takes place in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. We're not going to read that right this moment, but in Matthew 16, 13 through 20, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And then he turns the question and says, who do you say, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers correctly, and Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then immediately upon that profession of who Jesus is, Jesus began to teach his disciples of what would soon, soon happen to him in Jerusalem. So that's where we pick up the story. Matthew 16 verses 21 through 28. When it says in verse 21, from that time, he means from the time that Peter made that confession of who Jesus is, from that time forward, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So here's Peter who gave the correct answer earlier and he says something a bit different here. And Peter, imagine this, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Peter took him aside to rebuke him. And here's what he said, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and listened to what he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus turned to his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man talking about himself, is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Look at verse 21. In verse 21... This is the first time that it's recorded in the Gospels. It's the first time of three times that Jesus teaches his disciples what is going to happen to him in Jerusalem. And he clearly tells them. And so even when it happens, they're confused and aren't expecting it. But Jesus has told them three times. This is the first time that's recorded of him telling them that he would be 
that he would suffer, that he would be killed, and then he would be raised again on the third day. The reason Jesus does this is because he wants to help them better understand who he is, but he also wants them to understand who they are and who they are to be. And so in this teaching, we're going to see what Jesus is all about and what he would do for us and for them, and then what our response should be based on what he does for us. All of this hinges on the the, the, the understanding, the proper understanding of what I've titled this message, the way of the cross. The question is, do we understand the way of the cross? You're like, yeah, Alan, I got this. Jesus went to Jerusalem, he was killed, he was crucified, he was ugly. He, he wasn't ugly, but the whole thing was an ugly process. He goes to, to the tomb, and three days later, he comes back to life. I got it, I know the Easter story. No, I'm not asking you, do you understand what took place? That's important. I'm asking, do you fully understand the way of the cross? Because if we understand the way of the cross for Jesus, then we understand the way of the cross for us. You see, Peter, back in verse 16, we didn't read it. I read, well, actually, I read what he said. Back in verse 16, when he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Peter understood who Jesus was. But it's very clear from verses 22 and 23 that I just read that Peter does not understand the cross yet. You see, Peter took his eyes off the things of God and looked at it from his perspective. Look in verse 23. In 23, after basically Jesus scolded Peter for his misunderstanding by calling him to get behind him, Satan, you're a hindrance to me. Here's what he said. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. He says, the reason you're trying to prevent me from dying on the cross is because you don't understand what I'm doing. You're seeing it from your perspective. You're not seeing it from my perspective. And if we're not careful, we can be just like Peter. And when things happen in our lives, we can be oblivious to what God is doing because we have our things, our mindset on the things of man instead of the things of God. And so this morning, my intention is for us to look at these verses and seek to understand the way of the cross. One other thing that I didn't mention that I meant to is if you look back at verse 18, you see that Jesus commends Peter for properly understanding who he is. And in fact, then Jesus says in verse 18 that the confession of who Jesus is, the fact of who Jesus is, is what the church would be built upon. It would be the rock on which the church would be built. And then when we go to verse 23, He says, you're not the rock that the church is going to be built on. Rather, he says, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. It's interesting, the word hindrance in the ESV, and depending on your translation, you may have a different word there, but in the ESV, it says hindrance. It's actually from a word in Greek. I'm going to pronounce it scandalon. I don't know that I'm saying it exactly right, but scandalon. And scandalon means a stumbling block. Scandalon means a stumbling stone. It's interesting, Peter, when he understood who Jesus was, was building his foundation of who Jesus is on the rock, but then just a couple of verses later, he misses the point, and he is now a stumbling stone. All right, let's keep going. It's easy for us to try to follow Jesus, but miss the point while doing so. Let's be reminded of what it means to truly follow Jesus. There on your notes, the first thing you see is that life comes through death. Life comes through death. We see in verse 21 that Jesus lists four things that must 
happen. In verse 21, he began to teach them, and he says that he showed them that he must, and he lists four things. He must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer many things. He must be killed, and he must be raised on the third day. The, the, the word in the Greek for must here is the word die, D-E-I. It's pronounced die. And the word is also used in other places to indicate something that is without a doubt going to happen. It's a necessity. I love how the King James says some of the things it says. And, and I'm going to quote the King James, and maybe you've heard this one before. It comes from John chapter 4. It, Jesus says, I must needs go through Samaria. I don't know if you're familiar with that phrase or not. He says, I must needs. So it puts the word must and needs together. It's a definite thing. It's the exact same word that's used here. He must needs go to Jerusalem. He must needs be suffered to suffer. He must needs be killed. He must needs be raised on the third day. Jesus had to suffer and die. Jesus had to suffer and die. You're like, Alan, you're missing the rest of the story. I am, but I'm doing it on purpose. Jesus had to suffer and die. We don't sit in that truth enough. All too often, we rush right past Good Friday so that we can get to Easter. Don't get me wrong, that is the story and that is the fact of what took place. But sometimes we need to try to experience what it must have been for the disciples to watch their Savior and their Lord be crucified and put in a tomb. And sit. That's why we're having the Good Friday service. We want to celebrate Easter, but we must understand why Jesus died. He died for our sins. Our sins did not bring his resurrection. Our sins brought his death, and he brought resurrection over sin. So life only comes through death. For us, the only way that we can have life is through and because of Jesus' death. It's his death that brings our salvation. I don't know if you've read the Gospel of John lately, but like half of the Gospel of John is the final week of Jesus, is Holy Week, from when he enters the city and up to his death, burial, resurrection, and after his resurrection. And so I'm going to read a passage of Scripture. It's probably going to be on the screen here in John chapter 12. And it's interesting because John chapter 12, you wouldn't expect it to be the final week, the holy week, but it is. This is after Jesus already entered into the city of Jerusalem. And now he's teaching his followers and he's actually predicting his death just like he did in the passage here in Matthew. I want us to look at John chapter 12, verses 23 and 24. Here's what Jesus said. The hour has come for the Son of Man. Again, that's a title for Jesus, the Son of God. The, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. How is he going to be glorified? Verse 24, truly, truly, verily, verily, I say to you, this is a done deal. Unless a grain of wheat falls 
into the earth and dies. Unless a, wheat, a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He goes on and talks about how his death and his resurrection would bring life. But I want us to see this parable of the grain of wheat that must die to bring harvest because we understand agriculturally, even though I'm not an agriculturalist, agriculturally we understand that a grain of wheat has to die in order for fruit to come from it. Jesus says, unless he were to die, which he did, that no one would be saved. But since he will die, and since he did die, and since he was raised again, he brings fruit as a result. If Jesus doesn't die, salvation isn't possible. So I want us to pause for just a moment. Why is it that life comes through death? Like, why did Jesus have to die? Why did we not just throw a big party and call him king, which he is? Why didn't we just have Palm Sunday, and that's the climax, and he goes back to heaven, and we're like, woohoo, Jesus! The reason he had to die is because sin is an offense to a holy, perfect God. And a holy, perfect God can have nothing to do with sin. And Scripture tells us all of us are sinners, all of us choose our own ways. All of us walk away from God. And the result of that sin is death. That what you and I deserve is death and separation from God for all eternity. Jesus did not sin. He was without sin, yet he became sin. That he might die in our place as our substitute, as our sacrifice. That he would die, that he would be put into the ground, and then three days later he would raise to life. That through his death, his burial, his resurrection, salvation is available to any and all that would trust in him and repent of their sins and come to him in faith. Life comes through death. His resurrection achieves victory over grave death and sin. Jesus died that we might have life. And this is something we must never get over. Life comes through death. Right alongside of that is my next point. Following Jesus requires us to take up our cross. This is a continuation of the same principle. Jesus died in order that there might be life for us. This teaching that Jesus says about taking up our cross carries the same principle that we're to follow the way of the cross like Jesus, not that we are the Messiah, not that we can die for anybody's sins, but just as he suffered and died and was raised to life, we must die to ourselves by repenting of our sins and trusting in him, and then we receive life. And he says that by saying that we are to take up our cross. Look at verse 24. Jesus told them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. We're to follow the way and pattern of Christ, as I said. He suffered and died. He carried his cross and he was crucified on it. Whenever the disciples would have heard Jesus say, take up your cross and carry it, that would not bring a pretty picture to mind. I know sometimes we might wear jewelry of the cross and we see it as beautiful because it's a reminder of Jesus' resurrection, but the cross itself is not beautiful. 
the cross would be an indication as these people would know because it was capital punishment, it was execution, they would know if a man is carrying or a woman is carrying their cross, they are literally a dead man walking. Literally a dead man walking. Jesus says, pick up your cross. Die to self and follow me. This idea of denying ourselves, taking up our cross, is not a once and done kind of thing. It's a continuous over and over and over again. John Calvin, perhaps you've heard of him. John Calvin, one of the Protestant reformers. Here's what what John Calvin said. He said, the sum of Christian life is self-denial. Salvation comes through what Christ has done on our behalf, but he's saying to live out the Christian life carries with it a self-denial because we're no longer doing what we want to do, we're doing what Christ wants us to do. Jesus says that to follow him we must die to ourselves. Again, the way of life comes through death. It's only as we die to ourselves that we can experience life. So it begins this way. Salvation or conversion or justification, kind of all used interchangeably there. Forgiveness of sin, it comes when we die to ourselves, and I realize I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I can't do it myself. I'm dying to my own efforts and I'm trusting in Jesus. So that brings salvation. Denying ourselves, admitting our sin and the need for a savior. But then the Christian life continues through what we refer to as sanctification, which is the process of becoming more and more like Jesus, not in our own strength or our own power, but again by dying to ourselves and our wishes and our plans and our dreams and seeking his plans. See, the only way possible to live for Jesus, sanctification, is by dying to self. How do we die to ourselves? We do that by abiding in him. We do that by praying for direction. We do that by walking in his power. We do that by trusting in the Holy Spirit's work within our lives. A life of denying ourselves and taking up our cross is not optional for a Christian. So if you come in this morning like, oh, Alan, you sound like you're talking a bit radical here. I don't know that I like this idea of dying to myself. I don't know that I really want to sacrifice anything. I don't know that I want to give up that kind of cost. Hear me say, in the New Testament, in Jesus' words and in Paul's words and other writers, John and Peter and the others that wrote the New Testament under, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there's not a single hint that there's an option other than a life of taking up our cross and following him. There's no option. And this is actually a good thing, to trust in him rather than ourselves, but pridefully, all too often, we want to do things our way. We can't follow Jesus without first acknowledging our need to deny ourselves and take up our cross. So I've got a question, questions for you. There's going to be three of them. They're going to pop up on the screen. And to kind of head into the first question, my thought is, what about your life? What does your life show? And here's the questions. Is your pride keeping you from following Jesus? 
Like, I'm, I'm a good person, I'm a nice person, I don't hurt anybody, I'm not as bad as the neighbor down the street, I, I don't need to turn and repent of my sins. Is your pride keeping you from following Jesus? What about this one? Is your pride keeping you from taking up your cross? Like, I, I'm, I, 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 I've, got, I've got plans, I, I want a certain job or a certain this or that, and I don't want to ever have somebody tell me, even God, what I'm supposed to do. I, I'm kind of in charge here and then the third one is this in what ways do you need to die to yourself to follow Jesus I I want us to all just take a moment and reflect on that last question what is it in our lives that we need to deny ourselves so that we can follow him it's easy for me to think of a few things When our eyes see something that we want, that we desire, if it's a sinful thing, do we still go and grab and reach and try to get? Do we keep looking at it? Do we consume it? Or do we realize, oh, I need to die to myself. That's not healthy. That's not holy. That's not pleasing. That's not good. And I need to run from that immorality. But what is it in your life that you need to die to yourself in order to more fully follow Jesus. Let's look at the third point on your sermon outline, and that is, it goes right in hand. These three are separate points, but they're saying the same thing. Losing your life to find it. This is some of that upside down, inside out kind of thing. Losing your life to find it makes no sense. Look down at verse 25 and 26. Jesus says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. That doesn't make sense. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's confusing. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, that sounds good to me, and yet forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Let's look at those two verses, 25 and 26. This concept of losing your life to find it. This is a set of paradoxes that Jesus sets up here. In in the English, it looks like verse 25 is talking about one thing, and verse 26 is talking about another thing, because at least in the ESV, it talks about... Um, our life in verse 25 and then in verse 26 it talks about our soul but the reality is all four times those words are used soul soul uh, life life soul soul all four times those words are used it's the same Greek word which is psyche And, and the Greek word psyche carries with it the concept of either earthly life in other words our physical life or our inner life, which is what we automatically think of with our soul. So psyche could be used in either way. And so what Jesus is saying is, you save your life whenever you think you're doing what's good for you, but in reality, you're following your own way, and so instead of saving your life, you end up losing it. And then he says that whenever we lose our life, giving up our rights to Jesus, then it's then that we find our life. And then in verse 26, When we gain the world, we actually forfeit our soul because we aren't following the ways of God. So my question is this. Are you living your life trying to grab on to what's yours? Trying to save your life? Trying to do things your way? Trying to climb that ladder up to the top and show everybody who's boss? Or are you losing your life for God's sake and thereby finding the true meaning of life? So here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying 
if you're trying to climb the so-called corporate ladder and get the promotion, that doesn't make you an evil person. I'm saying is your motivation, I got to have this, 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 whatever this is, or is it I'm living for the glory of God, and if God gives me that promotion, then awesome. But I'm pursuing his kingdom first. He says to lose our life, we actually find our life. When you live for yourself, you actually die. When you die to yourself, you actually live. You see, society would have us believe, our culture would have us believe that we should do all that we can to gain the world. But our true life is not what we gain and our stuff. Our true life is to give God glory and not to receive our own glory. Look down in verse 27 and 28. On the hills of talking about losing our life and yet gaining our life, he says, for the Son of Man's going to come with his angels in the glory. There's the glory. In the glory of his Father, he'll repay each person according to what he has done. What, what he's saying here is this. That Jesus is coming back. And our lives should be lived in a way to bring him glory and not ourselves. And then in verse 28, he says, it's coming sooner than you realize. And he says, it's going to come before some of you even die. It says in verse 28, some of you standing here will not taste death until, the, until you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. You're like, hold up, Alan. I don't know anybody that's still alive from 2,000 years ago. So are you saying Jesus is lying? Well, here's the deal. If you're a follower of Jesus, your first basis of any understanding must be that Scripture is right. That Jesus is right. So if that's my starting point, then the answer is no, Jesus isn't lying. So what is he saying when he says some of you standing here 2,000 years ago will not taste death before you see the Son of Man coming in all of his glory? Look real quickly at the very next verse. Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. If you're familiar with the story of the transfiguration, this is, says six days later, Jesus took Peter and James and John. They went up on the mountain and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. You can read that later today, but those first 10, 15 verses of chapter 17 references the transfiguration of Jesus where his disciples saw him, a glimpse of him in his glory, as a precursor and a reminder that it would really, truly happen. So what we're seeing in this text, in 16, verses 27 through 28, we see that Jesus is coming back, and we should bring him glory and not ourselves. I want us to look at Colossians 3. I found this this week. I mean, I've read it many times, but I was reminded of this this week where Paul says a few things to us, and I felt like it tied up nicely with what we're looking at today, that Jesus is our life, that Jesus is coming in his glory, and that, we, that he died for us to bring us life. Listen to what it says, and I would encourage you to mark down the rest of these verses and maybe even read through like verse 17 at some point today. But Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 says this. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Think of God's things, not man's things. Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. You have died and you have life in Christ. And then in verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I love what Paul says there. When Christ, who is your 
life. This life of following Jesus is about denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him. When all too often we make it about promoting ourselves, take up our possessions, and do our own thing. This is a radical faith that Jesus is calling us to. Let us not just walk out of here this morning and go, it was kind of cool to be at church. I had to listen to Alan for a while, but we sang some good music, and I talked to some friends, and Jesus loves us, and he gives us rest, and kumbaya. Let's walk out understanding he is giving us a challenge, a demand, a command. Take up your cross. I know I got this backwards. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. There's no following Jesus without first denying ourselves and taking up our cross. So I've got a couple of questions on the screen. How are you spending your life how are you spending your life are you pursuing your own pleasures will and plans or are you pursuing his how are you spending your life that goes hand in hand with the very last thing which is not a a long point this is designed to ask us a question and that question is am i following jesus You see, following Jesus is the positive statement of what seems to be negative statement of deny yourself. Like, who wants to say, hey, let's go out and tell the world, deny yourself. That's not an exciting thing to say. It's what we're supposed to do. The positive side is following Jesus. The reason we deny ourselves is so that we can follow Jesus. Because we're following Jesus, we're denying ourselves. They go hand in hand. Follow Jesus as the Lord of your life. I encourage all of us to take an honest evaluation of our lives this morning and respond accordingly. Who is the king of your life? Who is on the throne of your life? Is it yourself or is it Jesus? If it's yourself, then you're trying to gain the whole world and yet you're going to forfeit your soul. If it's yourself, then you're trying to find your life, but you're going to lose it. But if it's Jesus, then you're going to find life because you've lost your life by giving it over to him. Are you genuinely following Jesus? Too often, we thank Jesus for dying for our sin, but we shrink back from following him. Jesus, thanks for dying. Jesus, thanks for being raised again. Now I'm going to go live my life. No, because he died for our sins, because he rose again, because we're to follow him, we're to take up our cross and deny ourselves and follow him. Don't miss this challenge. Don't make it easy believism. Don't shrink back from what he says about being his disciple and following him. Don't ignore Jesus' clear call to live a life as a life of sacrifice. You see, Jesus calls us to cross-bearing discipleship. Discipleship is cross-bearing. Are you denying yourself? Are you taking up your cross? Are you following Jesus? In other words, do you know him intimately? This morning, we're going to have a chance to respond. We're going to sing a couple of songs, and actually in between those couple, we're going to do a short little chorus. And after that little chorus, we'll actually take up an offering as well. And so those offering plates will pass. And here's a couple things you can do with the offering plate. If you came prepared to give financially, uh, you can do that. I don't know where my connection card is, but it's somewhere up here. There it is. There we go. The other thing you can do is you can fill out the connection card if you're a guest or if you want us to know any information about yourself, or on the backside, if you're making a spiritual decision or a prayer request, you can drop that in the offering plate. 
when it's passed. But this whole next couple, three songs, is all about responding to the, to, to the Lord. Are we going to follow him or follow our own way? I'll be available here at the front to pray with you. Uh, the altar's open for prayer. You can grab somebody to come with you or whatever. Today can be the day to say yes to Jesus for salvation. Today can be the day to say yes to following him fully and completely by denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him. Let me pray for us.